I'm Laura Max Rose, mother of two, and you're listening to Look Ma No Hands, my candid dispatches from the front lines of motherhood. I ask the real, tough, honest questions on motherhood-related topics that we're all wanting to know more about, in hopes it will make everyone's journey fulfilling, easier, and more joyful. If you're not a mom, welcome. I want you to know how happy I am that you're listening and that these topics can be applied to any season of life. I'm grateful you're along for the ride. Welcome back to Look Ma No Hands. I am your host, Laura Max Rose, and I am joined today by Ashley Barber. Ashley is Houston's first certified KonMari consultant, a KonMari Incorporated approved speaker, a legacy Lululemon ambassador, and founder of Simply Maven, which is right here in Houston, Texas. She is certified at the KonMari Gold level with 750 hours, and she combines her organizing skills with 10 plus years of experience as a fitness instructor, a degree in philosophy, an eye for design, and a passion for physical, mental, and spiritual wellness. Welcome to the show, Ashley. Thank you, Laura. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to have you on the show today. If you don't know what the KonMari method, it was developed by Marie Kondo, whose show Tidying Up with Marie Kondo was all over. Everyone was watching it about a year or so ago. And we were all obsessed with it when it first came out. We were all tidying, holding on to what helped, what sparked joy and letting go of what didn't. But not all of us decided to become KonMari certified, especially the first KonMari certified organizer in the city of Houston. What made you decide like when you saw that show, okay, this is what I'm going to do with my life now? Oh, I was certified before the show. (laughs) You're kidding me. I had no idea. No, not at all. Yeah. I was certified well before the show came out. Um, So you read the book and you were like, this is, this is for me. Mm -hmm. I read the book when it first came out. Well, not when it first came out, uh, but when it first like became really popular, I think it hit the New York times bestseller list. And friend of mine, who's one of those friends who just is in the know with everything was like, you got to read this. You'd be really into it. So I did. And I I loved it. And, um, I had every intention of putting it into my life immediately. And then a couple things happened and I just like, couldn't find the time. Like I wanted to do the festival. Like if I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. Right. That's always been my nature. And so I I had um, the intention of like really carving out a good chunk of my schedule so I could do this. And then about a year after I read it, I was due to have my first baby. And we were in a really tiny little place in the Heights and here in Houston, uh, like 750 square feet. So not too large at all. And I was like, I just, from pure practicality, was like, well, let's, it's time. Let, let's actually do this. Um, so we can make space for a nursery, space for the baby. And what I didn't fully anticipate as I was going through it was how, um, you know, for lack of being cheesy or cliche, like how life changing it was going to be for me. Um, I do have a degree in philosophy. And so I just started transforming not only my relationship with my things, but how I was spending my time. And it really did get me thinking about what is that ideal life that I want to create for myself and not just for myself, but for my family and as a mother. And um, I loved my job at the time. And I was so, I, I was very, um, passionate and purposeful in that, but just as something to do for me on the side, after I had my baby, I was like, well, I just, I want to check out this certification thing, you know, um, just to kind of do a deeper dive into it. It had been so powerful and it had really helped me transition. I 100% believe into this new role in my life by making space for it, not only physically in my house, but like mentally in my head and 
as well. And, um, and so I just wanted to learn more about it. I was already helping people with their health and wellness goals through the fitness industry. And, um, I, also just saw this opportunity to take that to another level, to bring that, that health and wellness element, not only to their bodies, but also to their environments and to their homes. You know, we get so many people who have fitness goals, but it, it's a holistic system. The, the space you live in, the food you put into your body, all of that. And so I just, I wanted to add this extra component to the work I felt that I was already doing um, in my life. When you say that, um, putting the KonMari method into practice in your own home changed your life. How did it, how did it change your life most significantly? And what types of changes do you see happening for your clients? I, I felt the time open up. So two, two big things, like really, really practically, it just became that much easier to take care of my house. And that just afforded me more time and energy for other things. So I always felt like I was hitting this wall, right? Like I, um, and I've also had to deal with my own perfectionistic tendencies, right? But, you know, uh, I always found myself hitting this wall, like getting my house to look the way that I wanted to look, but also having the free time to do the things I wanted to do and spend it with people that I really cared about. And all of a sudden, by simplifying the house, the time opened up for the the things that mattered more to me, you know, being so able to tell me, yeah. Tell me a little more about that because you're very vocal about organization being about more than just stuff. You say on your Instagram that we need to organize our schedules and our lives to make them work for us. What does that really mean? And how does that really come from organizing your home? Yeah. So it all starts, it's all about prioritization. I mean, that's really what it is. And what I love about this method is that it helps you explore what your values and priorities are in your life. They're going to be personal. They're going to be different for everyone. Um, But examining your physical relationship to the stuff around you is a really great entry point into figuring out what those priorities are. It's, we have these visceral reactions to things. Um, when with that clients will have them, I had them when I was going through this, you know, the things that spark joy, spark joy for a reason. And the things that don't also don't for a reason. And it allows you to start to look at, well, maybe I'm, maybe I do need to just let go of this hobby that I am not really interested in anymore. Maybe I need to, you know, I clearly enjoy spending my time this way. So I'm going to focus on, you know, I'm going to focus on cooking more, or I I know that I'm, so my business partner, Jane, she's not, she's not a big cook, you know? So we did a thorough clean out of her kitchen. It wasn't a priority for her. Whereas me and my husband love to cook at home, you know? So it, it shows you what you value. And not only do you keep the things that you value, but then you've also removed the things that you didn't value and you don't have to spend time thinking about them, worrying about them, taking care of them, cleaning them, putting them where they belong. You, you're able to take that off of your plate. So it's not just about letting go of the really old picture frame from fourth grade that brings back horrible memories. It's also about looking at your schedule and saying, you know what? I really don't like sitting in the car for three hours a day. I'm going to change my schedule around so I don't have to spend that much time driving or whatever it is that's not really working for you anymore. It can absolutely take you there. Um, I'll share you. I mean, I think it's an evolutionary process. That's not usually what people get to on day one. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Of course. Of course. Session number one. But as you go through it, um, you you do. It's 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 like a little voice that kind of starts talking. It's like, well, why why don't I like this vase? Or why why don't I like this? What does outfit? it bring up you know, for do me? I, what yeah? What's coming up for you? Um, I'll from my personal experience when. 
I was going through the method, the, um, I'd already gone through the method and, you know, from a very practical standpoint, right before I had my baby. So then I went and got the certification process and I'm sitting there and it had already been a year. I've been living post KonMari tidying for a year before I went and got certified. And I'm listening to Marie speak and you know, we're having our talks with the other people there to be certified. I think this is like the second certification that they offered in the whole world. Um, and wow. yeah, so it was pr- really early on into this thing. And I, I'm sitting there going like, oh, I, I'm still holding on to that. And I'm still holding on to that. Like I, the year prior, I hadn't really been ready to yet, but I had done a lot of thinking. And, um, and so I decided that I was like, oh, I should go back through it again. And what's great. And you could do the combine process and you're pretty much done, but you will do updates, right? Because life happens, things come into your life, things change, your priorities will change. So I decided to do like a quick little update when I came through just to do it again. And instead of it becoming this like festival that took me months, I did it in a weekend. So it was really easy, but um, I just wanted to kind of do another Passover because I knew that there were things that I was still holding on to that it was time to say goodbye to. So I started with my clothes, which is the first category in the KonMari method. And I pulled them all out and I had some really visceral reactions to really. Yeah. So I, I was so excited about like, I could just feel right. And this is, I had my baby, right. And I was, uh, he was about a year old at this point, my first one. And Mm. I was just really being called to like blue jeans and t-shirts. And when I started picturing my ideal life, I just wanted to like, wake up in the morning and throw on some casual clothes and like take my son for a walk. And right now, and at the time what I was doing was, you know, waking up really freaking early, um, going to teach fitness classes, you know, dropping my son off at a daycare and then going into an office. And I was having, um, I was just, and when I was like looking at the yoga pants (laughs) of which there were many, I was starting to have this feeling like they weren't, bringing me joy the way that like these other things were. And it was a really scary realization because I realized that like my heart and my gut were trying to tell me it's this, it's time for you to start thinking about making a shift, you know, like this is, and I've been doing fitness for over 10 years, you know, Um, I still relate to this story. I, I, it was major. And scary. <laughs> we don't, we think about it as just being clothing, right? Mm-hmm. But it really shows us where we are when we don't want to wear something that maybe we've worn for a really long time to wear mm-hmm. to a specific job. I remember mm-hmm. when I, I went to college for broadcast journalism, I was on the fast track to send out my audition tape, if you will, to all these local news stations across, you know, small news stations across the Midwest. I was going to live in like Billings, Montana as an anchor and work my way up. That had been the plan. And I had all these like pantsuits basically that I wore all the time at like age 21, 22. And I had this transformative experience traveling abroad for about a year. And I realized that the life that I had been cultivating for four years in college wasn't really the life that I wanted to live. It was a life Mm -hmm. that somebody else wanted to live. And I wanted something that had a lot more balance. I wanted to be a lot more casual. And I came home from that year and I opened my closet and I saw all of those pantsuits and I called my friend and said, I can't, I can't, I can never wear those again. I don't know what I have to do, but I can't ever get into those clothes again for the rest of my life. It was just visceral. And it was my indication that that direction was not the direction that I wanted to go in. And I think a lot of women have that experience after they have a baby because it's so transformative 
to have a child and you really do grow into bigger shoes and you leave old ones, you leave so much behind that you never thought you were going to leave behind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, you know, I credit a lot of the life-changing magic to the Conmari process, but it's hard for me to separate it from becoming a mother and the transformation that happened with that as well. What I'm really grateful for is that I had been going through this process prior to that change. And so I had a sort of awareness that I don't know that I would have had, um, had I not kind of done this. Right. You know, um, it really made me think about, because it does rock your world. Right. Um, and I think because I had already started doing a lot of that contemplating and a lot of that thinking prior to my son Theo arriving, I, I felt so sort of prepared, um, to, to actually make, make some of these changes, you know, and start making the transitions. And, and I ultimately did end up slowly pulling away from my fitness career. And I, it was really hard because I loved it. Um, but you talked about conmaring your schedule. And what I realized was here are the, here are the priorities. It's family time. It's me time. It's a life of balance. And this is the life that I wanted for me, right? Everyone has to find what it, you know, what that looks like for them. Um, and so something was going to have to give, you know, and it ended up being that particular career because it just wasn't going to offer the sort of flexibility that I needed to offer at this particular stage in my life, you know? Um, and that was really hard to let go of, but I have to tell you, because I've done this commentary process, the tools of being able to say, thank you and goodbye was really valuable as well, because sometimes the letting go um, is, is hard. You know, it's, it is like a, of saying it's a closure on a past phase and, and that can be tough. And when, um, and Marie says this a lot in the book, you know, it's tidying is your life can't begin until you've completed a tidying festival because you kind of have to put the past to rest so you can move forward into your future with a clean slate in, in a way. And, and I really did feel like this is what that process helped me do. And it's skills that I use all, all the time now, you know, to be able to kind of move past things, to prioritize things, to say, this is what I want to focus my time and my energy on. Um, and this is what I'm going to just graciously and gratefully say goodbye to, whether it's something as silly as baby clothes or um, not silly necessarily, but you know, something like a t-shirt or an outfit, or if it's something kind of bigger, like um, a project or maybe a dream or a passion that just doesn't really fit with where I'm going now. So tell me a little bit more about the process of saying thank you and goodbye to your items. If someone hasn't watched the show or read the book, I think that definitely sparks some interest and we want to know more about what that process really entails. Yeah. You know, I think it, it definitely sparks interest. I think it also sparked a lot of like snark sometimes. <laughs> oh, I loved it the whole time. I thought it was brilliant. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I thought the memes were also brilliant. Yeah, I know. I totally see both sides. I mean, it, it's, um, it's not an intuitive thing, especially not in the Western culture, I don't think. Um, no. So to say thank you for our things that we're yeah. get, letting go of. Are I you think, kidding? I Well, I think gratitude is becoming more and more of a, a, you know, like the gratitude journal, that's certainly gaining a lot of popularity, but uh, saying a thank you and goodbye as we get rid of things, I think is, um, is not something that we've never necessarily thought about, but it's, it's a very powerful practice and it's extremely helpful. Um, 
I don't know. It, it just offers this sense of peace and closure if you are really struggling with letting something go. And it can be as simple as a t-shirt. Um, I, I'll start with clothing because that's normally where it's like the easiest examples to come up with, I think. Um, so, you know, like just a, a shirt that you, you know, that you bought um, or I, I'll, I'll use one that I, a shirt that I bought on my honeymoon, right? I bought it when we were in Amsterdam. I was so excited to wear to that dinner. And then I came back to Houston and I never wore it again, <laughs> right? Like right. four or five years later. And, you know, and I love that shirt and I love the memory, but it just, it didn't work in the Houston heat. And it just never, I just, I would put it on and I would take it off like time. I think that kind of thing is the hardest thing to let go of in my opinion. Well, because you know, it's, it's attached to some special memory, but it it was just sitting in my closet, taking up space. And it wasn't necessarily like every time I looked at it, it was like, Oh, like I have the memory. The memory is in my head. Clearly I still remember it. You know, um, I remember the dinner. I remember our honeymoon. (laughs) Like there's so many other Yeah. I didn't need the shirt, you know, it can serve someone else. And so it was, a thank you for the memory. Thank you for the fun time. And I'm, I'm going to let someone else enjoy you or wear you or repurpose you, you know, and release you from just being trapped in my closet. I mean, it can seem like a silly thing to say, but if you just practice it, um, if there is something, just give it a try. And I've had some clients who be like, just a simple thank you is enough. Um, some people kind of need to, they want a little bit more of a mantra. Thank you for the lesson comes up a lot, especially if it's something that we're having a hard time letting go because of guilt. Maybe it was an impulse buy, we overspent and then we never used it. It still has the tags on it. You know, thank you for teaching me that I really do need to sleep on it <laughs> next time, you know? Um, so those kind of things can just be really illuminating and it just drives home um, a behavioral change in the future, which I think is really powerful too. So that's where some of the life changing magic comes in. Because when you spend this time, um, a good chunk of your time systematically looking at all of your things, you kind of start to notice your patterns, right? This is what got me here. And these are some of the shifts and changes that I could make so that I don't repeat this cycle again. In the life change in the show, Tidying Up with Marie Kondo, I've noticed the hardest thing for people to let go of seemed to be their books. There was a ton of conversation about, what do you mean? Like, I'm not going to get rid of my books. Mm -hmm. We have a ton of books. I've sort of just come to understand that my books and the idea of having a library when we have a house with a library sparks more Mm -hmm. joy in me than most other ideas. So I'm keeping them. I think that was a hard thing for some people to wrap their head around. Like they see the rules and they're like, wait a second this doesn't work for me. And then they kind of go in a different direction, but it always kind of made sense, you know, like, yes, if it doesn't spark joy, let it go. But if it does, you can hold on to it. What do you think are the hardest things for people to wrap their heads around, around this method? What are the hardest things for people to really let go of? Um, well, I think the hardest things for people to wrap their head around is that this isn't about letting go, <laughs> which is really, interesting. really crazy. Okay. Um, it's yeah. about curating. It's about Mm. curating. It's about focusing on what to keep. And she says it over and over and over again. And, and I myself have to constantly flip the script because we are so conditioned to focus on, I think because many of us, or at least many of the clients we're dealing with, we live in such abundance that the focus becomes on letting go and decluttering, but that's actually not the focus. The focus is on curating. It's on it's on training your eye and your mind to see what is important to you and to hold it close and, and then to 
let go of everything else. You know, it's not a mission of search and declutter. You know, it really is. It you need to flip it, and the result will be when you flip it and you hold your the things around you to a higher standard of things that you truly love, that you truly cherish, that are very useful to you and important to you. It becomes much easier to say goodbye to the things that aren't. Um, As we start to let go of items and begin to accumulate more to to curate, as you say, mm-hmm. curating the things that we really love. What are some of the things that we can watch out for? in order to avoid having a bunch of stuff we don't really love anymore. I've always thought like online shopping can be sort of a trap because I Mm -hmm. get in some cases exactly what I want because the exact thing that I want is advertised to me on Instagram and I get it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And in other ways, I'm more likely to keep things that I actually don't really love, but I also don't really want to return. So what are some of the traps people fall into when they're curating and cultivating what they really love? Right. So I I think the same traps that they were probably dealing with prior to any original, if you've gone through this process, you know what your traps are. So everyone's traps are different, right? It can be a sentimental thing. It can be a guilt thing. It can be someone gave this to me and I need to hold on to it, or I spent the money and I don't want to waste it. Um, you know, or I, I swear I'm going to use this one day or what if I need it? Those are all the sort of traps that we tell ourselves, like, this is why I should, I should keep this. You know, um, a lot of times it comes out from some kind of, it's usually some kind of fear. It's usually an attachment to the past or a fear of the future, um, or some sense of I'm, I'm supposed to do this, or I did this and it would be wrong if I, if I got rid of this. Um, when you go through the, the tidying process, it'll help examine those as you're, as you declutter or as you focus on the things to keep, you'll see the things that you don't want. If you really think about your reasons for not wanting them, it'll expose your personal traps to you. And then you can be on a lookout if you're an impulse shopper. I mean, I remember like post Kanmari, I would like go to Target and I would like have the things in Target. And by the time I left, I like had put all the things back. (laughs) I do the exact same thing. And it's ever since I read that book. Well, I just started thinking, okay, but what about six months from now? Like, oh, this is so cute, like in this moment, right? But like, I had already gone through like so many things that I had done that, you know, and I'd had them for like a month or two. And then the little, the magic wore off, right? Like you just kind of get used to those kinds of things. And I just knew I had done this enough, you know, that I just kind of knew I was like, you know, the magic is in the moment. And so I either, it becomes, you can shop with a lot more intention. Like, okay, I'm going to intentionally get this little impulse by and I know exactly what I'm doing. And if the magic wears off in a month, like it's okay. Like I've decided. And you know know what you're doing. But I I mean, I think I'm doing, yeah. One of the great lessons of cleaning out my closet as much as I have is Mm -hmm. seeing where the stuff is from that I end up getting rid of or not really Mm -hmm. enjoying after I've worn them Mm -hmm. once. And Target, I love Target, but it's Mm -hmm. the number one culprit for buying something that looks great (laughs) one time. And I don't really want to wear it again, or it's so inexpensive that I think I can wear it for this occasion. Mm -hmm. And then I don't want to wear it for anything else. I have another podcast episode on here with Natalie Weekly from Signature Style. And we talk Mm -hmm. about not falling into the trap of buying something for a specific occasion, Mm -hmm. unless it's a wedding or something like that. But that's, that can almost, you're almost guaranteed that if you don't have exactly what you want to wear that night and you run out and you buy something, you're not going to wear it again Mm -hmm. Um, because you're not really thinking about long-term. You're just thinking about that one night. So ever since I read that book, Every time I go into Target and I see all of the really cute things, 
I grab them and put them in my cart and I have that exact same experience. I Mm -hmm. kind of go through all of them and I say, is this something that I really, really love? I had a Mm -hmm. friend once say to me when I was in college, I only buy it if I absolutely love it. And I think we all grew up in this sort of like volume culture. Like if somebody hands you $300, you should get as much as you can instead Mm -hmm. of getting one or two things that you'll cherish forever. It's like Mm -hmm. a scarcity mentality almost. Mm -hmm. And I think that only buying it if I absolutely love it has kind of helped me navigate out of that because who wants just a bunch of stuff that they only sort of like, right? Right, right. Yeah. I mean, it's the classic quality over quantity mentality. And that is something that I think the process of going through your items and choosing what you want to keep, it shows you what quality is to you. um, And it allows you to kind of train your eye for that quality. And then as you, if, especially if you, if you struggle with letting things go, which, um, I, I feel like I did before this process. I wasn't really something, someone, I was always organized, but I wasn't someone who edited the way that I edit now. Um, so I really appreciate just the, having developed that skill. And I know that our clients do as well, because you just start to see like, I, I don't need this. You know, we, um, Jane was telling me she, uh, she had a lesson with a client not too long ago where, you know, she had <clears throat> a large closet and it had, um, you know, they had gone through their clothing and they had whittled it down. And then she sent her, she sent the client, sent Jane a text later that was like, you know, uh, we whittled it down. We did a great job today. And then I, I pulled out like my super favorite items and I put them on a rack and she's like, I kind of like moved them all to the front. And she's like, I just had this like aha moment. Like, this is all I need. Like I could just wear these things. Like, <laughs> this is all I need. I have that same awareness whenever I go on vacation. Like if I'm going yeah. somewhere for two weeks, I pack mm-hmm. everything I absolutely love mm-hmm. and I forget about everything else that exists in my closet. And it's I think, wait a second, a beautiful, this is actually freeing feeling. <laughs> it is a really freeing feeling. Let, let's talk about, so you had a, you had a, your baby, um, several years, do you have one baby or two now? I have two now. I have a four-year-old and a two-year-old. You have a four, just like me. So you've got a four-year-old and a two-year-old. Tell me about how the KonMari method has changed your life in terms of your kids. Well, it's funny. I, you know, I went through KonMari before kids. So I've always lived KonMari with the kids. Um, so it's changed it, I think, in terms of my thoughts on how I want to raise them and how I want them to experience things. Um, the kind of lessons about quality, not quantity that I want to pass on to them. Um, the relationship that I want them to develop to their things, a certain appreciation and respect for the things that we have, gratitude for the things that we have, um, an understanding of, you know, having having what we need um, and really focusing more on the experiences um, with each other and being creative with things. Um, I, I'm still a new mom, you know, I feel like, <laughs> I get it. you know, or at least I feel that way still. I mean, like, cause every new phase is new. You know, I, I think I will always feel like a new mom until I don't, I'm a grandma probably, <laughs> probably <laughs> right? to a certain extent, because, you know, I feel with my second one, I'm just like, Oh, okay. Like, you know, I've got a good group with that one. But with my first one, we're still, I'm no, we're still learning. New. We're still learning. Everything is new. We're still learning. But, um, I will say, that um, I, I've been really happy with, um, 
he helps me out with the chores. He folds his shirts, you know, not every day, you know what I mean? Like, and he's four. <laughs> like, That's amazing. He, he likes doing laundry with me. He loves to help me fold the dish towels. Um, and they, we have plenty of toys, more, more toys than I think that they need, but most of our time is spent outside with sticks you know, and walking. And I'm sure running. that even though you have plenty of toys, it's probably a lot less than most Americans have. I, and yes. I, when I'm, found well, that I, be true. I know for a fact that it is, or I know. Yeah, I mean, I feel, yeah, I feel so grateful yeah. for having read this book before I had children because mm-hmm. just immediately when like the first one was out of the gate, it was mm-hmm. like, we're not going to have 800 toys that I can't even see the floor because they're everywhere. I mean, I must go through their toys once a month. I mean, if it's not working for us, it's going in the trash mm-hmm. um, or we're donating it. Often by that point, all the you pieces are missing. Do you involve away. them in that or do you do you kind of make the executive decisions? I have to tell you, honestly, I make the executive decisions right now. But my kid, my four-year-old notices when I've done it and mm-hmm. she definitely catches on to like, mm-hmm. this is what we do. Mm-hmm. Does she help me do it? I'm a little afraid of that, to be honest with you, but <laughs> she, uh, she definitely gets it. Like I transfer, actually there's some toys like of hers. I transfer to my youngest room and she'll see that and like kind of start to comprehend how things are operating. Mm-hmm. We haven't gotten to her helping me yet. I'm assuming your mm-hmm. four-year-old has helped you. A little bit. He's actually quite my little sentimentalist. Like we go on a lot of walks and I can't tell you how many acorns and sticks he oh, insists on. They love to collect things. Yes. Yeah. He's, he's a big, he's a big collector um, of certain things. And, um, and I have done my best to support that, you know, as best as I can. So what I found is, um, so it's been funny to me because I think he sees me I mean, we edit quite a bit, but he, he really loves to, he loves to collect. And so we've talked a lot about just kind of like boundaries and that's kind of where our conversation is a lot. It's like, you know, well, this is, you know, if you want to keep it, that's fine, but you, it needs to have a home and its home needs to be in this area. And, you know, and so we kind of just have these conversations around that. And I, there, there have been times where I've had to make a few executive decisions, but I try my best, um, especially with the little one, I mean, because he's still little, but I try my best with my oldest to really at least start having those conversations. And we've had, and going, circling back to the thank you and goodbye, that has been the best tool for helping him. Because when he doesn't want to throw away the old balloons from the birthday party or, you know, like take the decorations down, it's, you know, like this was, this was, you know, we, we had our fun with them. It's so we can say thank you and goodbye. Like they've served their purpose. Um, I think it's a wonderful practice, especially to show kids so to much. gratitude. So much. And this is something we're that could help another person mm-hmm. at some point, if you are donating it, mm-hmm. I, um, I think it's a wonderful thing. And I also think that they learn from watching us, you know, if they don't see us hoarding a bunch of stuff in our homes or trying to accumulate as much as possible, Mm -hmm. if we set limits with them when we're shopping with them or whatever it may be, they learn from that. And I think that that's really important. Um, Let's talk about nightstands. I know this is probably a funny question, but I (laughs) saw a post about nightstands on your Instagram. Curating the perfect nightstand. As many times as I have tried to make my nightstand all the things I love, it always ends up being a mess. What goes on to the perfect nightstand? 
oh, well, Laura, obviously you have to answer that question for yourself. <laughs> like it's going to be it's a priority. Whatever, whatever you want to it's be a on priority there. priority thing. Now I will say that I've also done, you know, like I'm also big and not only just organizing life, but also just, I'm, I'm still big into like well-being and, you know, I will never let go of my fitness and health and wellness roots. So I think I would tell you, you know, that things that are going to aid in your sleep and relaxation and I have essential oils on there. I have my books that I read. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There always ends up being some sort of paper or something, but I try to keep that off. I've kept it pretty simple. Yeah. And that's good. I think, um, I think you have to, I've definitely seen plenty of nightstands that have turned into catch-alls or they've turned into, especially with COVID. And it's like sleeping. It's just the worst thing ever. Yeah. I, I will say that for me personally, the nightstand is a very sacred place. There is a lamp (laughs) and sometimes books, but I tried not to make them work books or books that spark too much, um, cause I can be a little type A and kind of a workaholic. So I try to keep it more books that are going to help me balance that out a little bit, give me some life perspective or kind of relaxing or can kind of help me tune out the things that kind of get me riled up. Um, mm-hmm. so candles sometimes I, you know, I try to be pretty religious about screens. Sometimes I'm not great about it, but our phone, my phone doesn't come into the bedroom. It's not on a nightstand. Do you have a TV um, in your bedroom? We don't, but the don't iPad matter. sometimes sneaks in. <laughs> My husband was the pusher on that one. I mean, for it was the, the hard. I swear, I was in withdrawals for six months about that for TV. The occasional Netflix, like sometimes I, I will go through bouts where I'll kind of like fall asleep watching something that just like either like makes me laugh, just because sometimes I just yeah. need that release at the end of the day. I've gotten into this habit of doing my skincare. I love like falling asleep. The thing is like watching the skincare videos. I'm just like, this is not good for my brain, but the funny comedians, the late night comedians, like falling asleep Mm -hmm. to them. That's my favorite thing to do. So sometimes I'll still like do it on the couch on the weekend and like, you know, have fun with it. But I, I, my sleep has never been better ever since we removed that TV. There really is a lot about not having that glaring light in your eyes when Mm -hmm. you're trying to fall asleep. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, our country seems to be totally obsessed with organizing right now. Mm-hmm. I, everywhere I go on Instagram, there's another well-organized pantry. Right. Um, do you have any theories about why that's going on? Oh, well, 100, I think it's, um, to, to quote Frozen 2, <laughs> which is like, you know, Olaf, uh, we call this, you know, controlling what you can when things feel out of control. I mean, I 100%. get that 100%. That's um, what I yeah, I think this is this is this is not only are we in our homes, um, most of us more than we've been in a long time, you know, so we're actually forced to kind of face what's within these houses, we can't just like leave and think about it later. Um, it is a sense of this is what I can do right now. Like this is what I can do right now. Is, is this is what I have control over. And when tidying up with Marie Kondo came out, this was really the first show of its kind. We had never seen a show where people were going through your home and organizing it. Maybe they were doing a home makeover. Now we have the home edit. We have tons of people on Instagram. What is it that still makes the KonMari method different or stand out from just other types of organizing systems? Yeah. You know, I, all editor, all organizers edit, you know, I think all good organizers edit. Um, they don't. Um, but I do think that Marie's, especially her first book, um, focus on our relationship to our relationship to our things is what makes it extremely powerful. 
um, because yeah. she's editing beyond, oh, well, here, what, what blew my mind about Marie's book, and I liked, to, I've always liked to organize, and I did the, you know, turn your hangers around, or, you know, I would research, like, what stylists say about, you know, you should have this many t-shirts, and this many blah, 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 and she was just like, forget those rules, like, what kind of life do you want to live, and right. think about that, and then design the things that you keep around that, and there were so, you know, it's not about it's not about numbers. You can decide on the number. It's not about the shoulds or it's, it's, you know, like if you're a book lover, keep a hundred books, keep a thousand books. If you're a shoe lover, keep a hundred shoes, you know, like what it's about is choosing what you love and then cherishing it, respecting it, taking care of it. Um, and I still think that her deep dive into breaking some of those kind of organizational hacks and quips and things that are just, they're meant to be guidelines, but we don't treat them as guidelines. We treat them as rules. And I think she does a really, really good job of let's examine what this is doing for you because those rules work for some people, a handful of people, but they don't work for everybody. Not everybody wants a capsule wardrobe. Not everybody, you know, not everybody wants a library. Not every, it's all, not everybody cooks, you know, not everybody, um, has a garage. So it's just, it becomes very personal. And I think, um, a little more because it makes you examine yourself, um, a little more self-aware. So it's a self-discovery process. I think she doubles down on that a little bit more than others do. Um, I think that's why it's very powerful and lasting. That's what drew me to her book in the first place was just creating a life that you love that Mm -hmm. has things in it that you love and doesn't have things in it that you don't. And like you're, home kind of ultimately becomes a reflection of that and of feeling joyful in your own life. So tell me what this means. Okay. My house, I'm pretty, it's pretty spotless. We got some drawers that are really crazy. So we're going to get into that in a minute. My car looks like it's, I'm getting ready to go uh, be a guest on Hoarders Buried Alive. Like it's two completely different people who run my car and my house. It's beyond shocking. Even in the carpool line. I mean, I think like the teachers, cause my daughter goes to school and like you can kind of tell like she's not coming from a home with crumbs all over it. Like mm-hmm. her hair is braided, her shirt, her, her dress is like ironed practically. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's coming out of like this crumb, ve- like this vehicle. It's not as bad as I'm making it out to be, <laughs> but it's really not. I mean, there's far worse out there, but it's definitely, I mean, it, it does look like two different people own these two different spaces. Have you mm-hmm. seen that a lot? Do you know why that is? Well, I think it's more about treating the, it, so then it's about the system, right? Um, I think part of Marie's method, again, that kind of differs from traditional organizing is that we tend to, to focus on spaces, I think, traditional kind of uh, organizational mentality, like, oh, I'm going to organize this room, I'm going to organize this room, I'm going to organize my car. But Marie takes a very holistic approach to the organizing, right? Um, and so the everything has a home and the items in your car just either that is their home (laughs) yes and you need to be intentional about it or those things need to be returned to their home when you're not when they're not in use I mean she even goes so they're off abandoned living in the car right right so they just need so it's a matter of finding a system that allows you to return things to their home and a lot of the times if things haven't been return to the home is because they don't have one. So we haven't yeah. kind of looked at them in the full context of what are these items and where should they live? And a lot of the times when we have junk drawers or drawers that are full of things, again, it's just a lack of system. So 
I've had this conversation many times because people tend to have these bowls or drawers that just become these catch-alls. And what Marie does, and, and this space will look organized, but then, you know, someone's trying to find a hair tie and they're literally hunting through every bowl in the kitchen and the living room and in the nightstand and just to find one thing. And the problem is it's the categories need help. And that's why Marie's really, really big on the categories is because it helps create clearer systems for homes for things, even when new things come in. So if you, you know, have a drawer that's dedicated towards the electronics, then if you've got some random cable that you don't need to keep in your car anymore, well, then it goes in the electronics drawer inside, you know, um, with the batteries and other things like that. So it's really about creating those systems and making sure that everything has a home. Well, let's talk about how to make sure things, how to give places homes, because we all have that cluttery drawer in our kitchen. Mm -hmm. Is labeling, does labeling help? Is KonMari a labeling fan? Because I've been reading a lot about that being huge recently. It totally depends. I was not a labeler until I had two kids. (laughs) Changes things, right? Um, Yeah. Well, I didn't need to um, because it was just me and my husband and it was pretty, it was just the two of us and it was pretty clear like where everything went. There wasn't a whole lot of communication that need to happen for us to understand this is where this lives. Um, but as the family got bigger and I will say labeling is it's, it's a communication tool to get everyone on board with the system. If you haven't had time to give everyone orientation on where everything in your house lives, then labeling is just like a shortcut to that. Yeah. I mean, I think it helps me too. Like just knowing. Well, it it helps you practice being consistent with where things go back because a lot of times, Sometimes when we're tight, you know, not tidying in the KonMari sense, but if we're just trying to straighten up before a guest comes over, sometimes we just chunk things in a drawer, right? That's a, that's a habit. Um, and if we have already intentionally labeled where everything lives, it becomes a lot easier. I think sometimes people chunk things in the drawer because it's too much work to figure out where this thing should live. But if you've already de- designated a home and put a label on it, then so it, true. it just takes five seconds to walk it to that spot, you know, but the, the stress and the anxiety comes from, I don't know where it goes. I'm just going to throw it here, you know, and, right. then, and then that builds up. And then, gosh, this whole conversation is making me want to open every drawer in my house and just make a big pile and start going through <laughs> Let's it. Do it. I love it. It's reminding me of how I felt when I watched that show and I'm inspired again. I think a lot of people hear about these types of methods, KonMari, any other type of organizing method. And if they, I think actually specifically this one, because it involves taking everything out of your closet and going through every item. And, and the first thing they think of is I don't have time for that. 100%. So what do you say to somebody who has that reaction? Oh, well, in the grand scheme of things, yes, it may take you a, a weekend or multiple weekends, but it is a blip in your life Yes, <laughs> compared actually- to the time you will get back when you are done. You know, I, for, I've worked with families, I've worked with, you know, single people right out of college in a small apartment and we've done it, you know, in like, let's say maybe like 10 to 15 hours total, you know, to go through everything. That's, that's not that long. (laughs) And I've also worked with families of, you know, four that live in 6,000 or families of six, four kids, you know, um, in 6,000 plus square feet. And I think we've, taken, it's taken us maybe 60 hours total, which you could either, you can choose to, I mean, take a vacation and bust it out, or, you know, you can split it up and however you want, you know, a weekend or a couple weekends here or there. Um, but the time you get back when it's done, not to mention the 
mental release and the peace and the calm, um, it's worth making time for. So, you know, it's not that you don't have time. It's that you got to make choices about your time and it's worth putting a few things on hold, you know, for it, for a small period of time so that you can get infinite amount of time. I mean, the return on investment is just insane. So it's worth it. It's worth the, you know, 15 to 60 hours. And most people fall somewhere in the middle around 25 to 30 um, to just to do it and to be done with it and to have your So when someone works with you on this, tell us a little bit about that process. Are you available for hire right now? I want to know everything about Simply Maven. Yeah. So um, we are working one-on-one. I'm home with my kids right now. Um, so I'm not as available, but Jane, my business partner is, she's, she's doing one-on-one on a case-by-case basis. And we have a consultation beforehand to kind of discuss the, what's a good fit and, um, the kind of like overall timeline and, and our processes and things like that. Uh, we generally work in about five hour blocks, which again, people are, some people are like, eh! but, um, you know, that sounds like a big chunk of time in your day. But if we are going to get everything out, look through it and put it back to where you can go back to your day, (laughs) it takes it it long. It's better to rip the bandaid and get in. Um, You know, I, and now that I'm in maintenance mode, I will say like, I can chunk it down. Like I'll do 10 minutes here or an hour there. And for people who want to do refreshers with us, or they're already pretty organized, sometimes like short periods of time can work, but if we are, if we're really getting into a project, it's worth it just to, to get into it and to use the time wisely. Um, because it's multitasking isn't really beneficial. So if you're having to kind of like go back and forth to this project, it's just way better to rip the bandaid and just get in there and do it. I love it. I love it. Ashley, thank you so much for joining me today on Look Ma No Hands. I so appreciate your insight. And if anybody wants to learn more about Ashley, you can go to her website, simplymavenhtx.com or follow them on Instagram at simplymavenhtx. Thank you again, Ashley, for coming on the show. You are so welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Look Ma No Hands. I am your host, Laura Max Rose, and I look forward to joining you again next week. Take care. Thank you for joining me for another episode of Look Ma No Hands. I'm Laura Max Rose, and you can follow me on Instagram at Laura Max Rose to stay up to date on upcoming episodes and the behind the scenes of my life with my own two daughters. If you like this episode and are enjoying Look Ma No Hands, the best way you can help me spread the word is to leave a review on Apple Podcast. This is the single best way to help me reach a larger audience and share these conversations with everyone who needs to hear them. If you love something you just heard, you can also take a screenshot of the episode and share it on social media. There might be someone you know who needs to hear what you just heard, and that's another great way to make sure they do. Thank you for joining me every week. I'm grateful for each and every one of you. More next time.